Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome, everyone. So today, as a disclaimer, I want you to catch the irony, tell someone next to you, the irony of this example I will be using now, because it could sound odd, but ironically, today I want to talk about the infamous and now defunct and half-canceled cultural icon, Kanye West, in his 2006 Grammy-winning song in late registration entitled, Diamonds Are Forever. Good. (laughs) And how this song could help us think through the current humanitarian crisis in the Middle East, especially in the Gaza Strip between the borders of Israel and Egypt. Catch the irony. Kanye says in Diamonds Forever, when I speak of diamonds in this song, I ain't talking about the ones that be glowing. I'm talking about the Rockefeller, my home, my chain. These ain't conflict diamonds. Though it's thousands of miles away, Sierra Leone connect to what we go through today. I thought my Jesus piece so harmless till I seen a shorty armless. And here's the conflict. It's in a person's soul to rock that gold. Spend your whole life trying to get that ice. In a polar rugby, look so nice. How can something so wrong make me feel so right? Right? For I beat myself like Ike. You can steal your Rockefeller diamond tonight because... <laughs> because diamonds are forever. It's ironic and tone deaf that Diamonds Forever won the Beth's rap song in 2000. And six, Dan Kwan approves. Big fan of Kanye. You're canceled too. <laughs> but I think it helps us think through the crisis in the Middle East because the temptation when things are bleak and precarious and dark thousands of miles away, it's to tune it out. Out of sight, out of mind. The message in Diamonds Forever is, hey, you don't need to feel ambivalent about your ambition, even if it means few people are suffering because of it. And that's part of American, the American dream, trying to exceed the goal of success and ambition, but also it's tragedy. As we climb the ladders of success and exhibit ambition. We can get many beautiful and powerful and amazing things in our lives that's material, but also drives inequality inequality, and inequity. Um, And sometimes when these things happen internationally, 
what are we to do? Because the truth is, tell someone next to you, there's nothing you really can do. Tell someone, there's nothing you really can do. Biden sent $100 million in a brokering deal with Israel to send to the Gaza Strip. Civilians are being, they're trapped because of the blockade since the Hamas attack. So no aid really could come through. There was 20 trucks that just entered this morning. But in reality, there's nothing you physically can do U.S. citizens can't even get out of the country. You can't go there to volunteer. So we're left with a moral dilemma about what it means, about what is happening in, in our interior world. Just because there's nothing you can do doesn't mean you can't affect change from where we are. Because when the lawyer, the expert of the law in this passage, asked Jesus in the famous parable of the Good Samaritan, he wants to define it. Who is? Just to be clear, he says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? He wants to limit how much he should do. He, just, he doesn't want to go the extra mile. None of us either. So, but that question reveals something about our propensities as human beings that's geared towards self-interest that could be examined. And in the long run, the U.S., and for those of us privileged in New York, can affect policy, can affect U.N. conventions and how we administer aid, how we administer justice. So this message today is more than a call to action is a call to withdraw before doing anything. It's a call to examination and reflection. Because that's the question Jesus asked in this passage. Who is my neighbor? This enormity and complexity of this cultural moment we find ourselves in I myself recognize the temptation to escape and drown it out. But what would that mean about what kind of people that we're becoming, and not just as Christians, but just basic people in this world? And I think that's what Jesus answers in this text in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And likewise, two things I want to give you very short in this parable as we're outside. The point of the parable and the lesson of the parable. So, they give an example. When you go to the text, if you go there, it says that Jesus gives an example, a hyperbolic story of a man robbed in Jericho and is stripped in the Middle East. It's a very dangerous place historically. A lot of bandits, a lot of robbers. So people uh, would recognize it. But why didn't the priest and the Levite help? Did you ever wonder that question? You go, well, because they're bad people. They're inherently bad people. Tell someone next to you, you're inherently bad. No, that's not why. Here, Everybody here 
you care about people. You're not bad to relatively people. I mean, we're doing a coach ride for the refugees who are here. How many of you guys donated a jacket yet? <laughs> Do you care about refugees? Yeah. But if you want to give them a jacket, you have to look for one that you don't want, right? You, you got to actually look for it. Well, a lot of people don't understand about this text is that the Levite and the priest, both of them, if they stopped and helped the man that was half dead, they would have to enter ceremonial type of cleansing at the temple. And that would entail leaving this very dangerous location and not being able to go home, but they would have to stop for ritual cleansing. That's kind of a hassle rather than just going home. So it's not that the Levite and the priest didn't care about the man that's half dead. They just struggled with administering mercy because of the annoying hassle. How many people here drink eight cups of water a day? Raise your hand if you do. You liquidate, you're hydrated. I, I try to drink water. And, you know, in, in our house, we have filtered water that's free. But I have to take my cup there and fill it eight times a day. And that takes a minute every single time. So I don't drink the water. I drink soda instead. In the fridge, the Coke Zero, about eight Coke Zero. No, I don't. It's four Coke Zeros. So we had to start buying, get this, we had to start buying water bottles from Costco just so that I drink water. Because even though I have water in the house, I can't. It's a hassle, an annoying hassle to fill the water. A lot of times, the irony of this text is that administering mercy or administering charity or dispensing it is not that we don't want to, it's a hassle to. It's just basic human propensity. We stop donating a coat because we have to look for one, we have to get a box, then we have to take the bus or the train, drop it off. The delivery of mercy, the delivery of charity is the difficult part when it comes to human nature. This is where this text is revealing about who my neighbor is. It's not that you don't want to. You don't because it's annoying and a hassle. So the greatest enemy of mercy and charity a lot of times is the part of doing it. And that's the first lesson of this text. We don't end up doing charity because it's an annoying hassle. So think about that for a second. When we want to do good, we come around and we can't because of our own human nature. So that's what God is showing. That's what Jesus is showing all of us. We don't do good because the resistance. 
that's what God has to reveal. So first, if you want to solve a problem about becoming better people or whatever, the Good Samaritan, you got to know why we try to escape from this crisis, first and foremost, the reveals about us and what God has to change and what God has to save. Amen? So that's the first thing. If you look at the passage that way, it's quite interesting. But a lot of people, again, think black and white about this text because in the original Greek, there's no such thing as a subtitle. You guys know that, right? There's no, in the original Greek, there's no good Samaritan on the top. This is mostly for Americans who are lazy. Oh, good Samaritan. Okay, let me find it. That subtitle doesn't exist, and that title doesn't exist in the original Greek. Because a lot of people think, well, the good Samaritan, Jesus used him as an example because obviously he's inherently good. He was a good person. Ah, but this is where we're wrong. No. If you look at the word here, and what threw him for a loop is he was a Samaritan, which, again, in the Middle East, Jews and Samaritans had similar tensions as Palestinians and Israel have today. The word used in this text in the Good Samaritan story is that he saw the man that was half beaten, and the word here is he had pity on him. That word pity in Greek means it scratched him from the inside out. Meaning Samaritan hated the Jews because the Jews hated them. He did not want to help the Samaritan in the original Greek at all. But he felt a violent ambivalence to call for aid because someone was in need of mercy, in need of charity. So here's the inherent part that we mistake. Becoming a deeper person, becoming someone that gives transcending mercy, or be becoming someone that helps, not stays in this mode of self-interest, you have to start somewhere. He had to choose against his own propensity, his natural instincts to help because he didn't want to, but he did. So we could say, like, you know, I'm not that type of person, you know. I don't even volunteer on holidays. Because these people that help aid and do good, they're, they're special people, anointed people, appointed people by God. That's not true. This text is saying that you start somewhere. You can change. And as Gandhi said, you got to become the change you want to see in the world. All of us complaining about the precarious nature of Ukraine and the Middle East and even the United States. If we check out and let the tragedy of the commons continue to take place, someone else take the buck, someone else do good, then eventually society collapses. So inherently, the man practiced mercy. Tell someone next to you, practice. It's not he was inherently a nice person or a good person. He practiced against his own instincts because of the call of the need at the moment, need for charity. So we build muscles. My wife and I, last few years, been trying to find workouts that work for us. So obviously, two years ago, we tried the sweat app. How many people here have the sweat app? Yes, it's the most annoying app. 
Because technically, you don't need the whole year. You can memorize the exercises. It's, it's a ripoff. My wife hates burpees. Every time we do the burpees, she starts like, I hate her. I hate this. It is, because why? Because the burpees, it's like a sit-up, push-up, and, a, you know, a jumping jack all together in one. And I understand the pain. I love, I love, I love it. And we eventually quit because of her. Cor correction. We do. But she started actually working out recently. She started working out and doing weight training while watching TV, watching the Korean dramas, like crying, <laughs> doing the, you know, the weight training, the, you know, the, all these type of things that she does, you know, arm muscles, and she's carrying these weights, and I'm just there eating popcorn. <laughs> I'm like, wow, she's really, you know, and, and she hated it at first, but now she sees that hard work is paying off, because she's like, Sam, check this out. She'll never do this to you, but she's very, very narcissistic at home. She'll take pictures. She comes out. She's like, feel this thing. Feel my triceps. I'm like, wow. And, uh, and clearly, it's working. Well, the, the lesson of the parable is the same. Hard work always pays off even when it comes to practicing mercy, especially when it forms our character. No one has the muscle to practice mercy. No one has the inherent gift to be good. No, mercy is a practice. Faith is a practice. That's what Jesus is calling us to. So you have to start somewhere. As we conclude today, very, very important is that when you look at the motif of the New Testament, the most ironic thing about this text, as we conclude, is that Israel, the, it says the expert of the law, this text says, completely forgot what God told his people in the Torah to do to foreigners, to those in need. Because the concept in Israel that Jesus says in Isaiah 61, that the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, was supposed to be a beacon of hope to all the world. It says clearly in the Torah that you are supposed to treat the alien not just with mercy, but kindness. For you were not shown kindness in Egypt, God says. Particularly this, and this is radical generosity displayed in this passage. Jesus was testing the law expert if they knew what God was calling them to do. Every three years in Israel, God called Israel, called the tithe year, to bring 10%, not of income, possessions, Tell someone next to you, net worth. So it's not like, okay, give 10%. There's a tithe. I mean, most people in the United States don't even do that. But here, every three years, the tithe year, God told Israel to bring 
of all your possessions of the land that you own, that I have given you in this land, and put it, put the 10% collectively at the gates of the city and leave it for the orphan, the widow, the migrant, and whoever in need. Do not touch it. Leave it at the gate of the city. That's the tidier in the Old Testament. Can you imagine us doing that just for one week? Be like, it would transcend Oprah's favorite things. That's year three. Year seven, called the Sabbath year in Israel, God told Israel, for one year, let your servants go on vacation. One year. For the whole year. For one year, do not farm the land. Give rest to the land and the animals. So for one year, they call them complete untethered work of Sabbath. Second, cancel all debt. Completely. Cancel all debt. Yeah, but this person owes me. Well, it's canceled. The United States has a similar Sabbath year in our credit system. Every seven years, if you missed a payment, they'll drop it for you. Influenced by the Sabbath year. Third, they will let every, all slaves free. God is crazy, right? So look how far the expert of the law who asks, how little can I do? When God's commanded, this is how much I want you to do. But that's not it. Here's the crazy part. The whales of all whales. Then there is what Isaiah 61 consummates and culminates in Jesus' mission. It's called the Jubilee. Every 50 year, you do all three. But there's a fourth element. Every land that you bought, that you own from somebody else because of debt, because of whatever reason, you return back to the owner. Crazy picture. And it doesn't matter if it's a migrant, doesn't matter who it is, you give it back to fight inequity. Because God knew there need to be a safety net. Now, we don't talk about this kind of radical generosity in the first world because, well, clearly we're tethered to it. And if I preach this and say that's a requirement, many of you would be like, all right, bye, I'm going to another, going to another church down the street. But it tells us how far and how great Israel has failed to represent the law that God had given them. And this is no wonder in the very beginning of church history, the disciples still lost, asked Jesus. So Jesus, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus says, I wish. I can't use Israel because it's tethered to possessions. I'm going to use a new community to bring Jubilee, to call them to radical generosity, to call them to radical love, 
to go the extra mile and to bring freedom, fight inequities, and show the world who I am. Because in a world today, all we hear is about who God is against. The Hamas doesn't believe that Israel should exist. They say their God is a God of hate. It's a God. All we know about the Hamas really is what they're against. And sometimes in America, Christians, all we talk about is what God is against, what behavior God's against, the people he's against, the things that he's against. Here, in Jubilee, Jesus says, my mission is to show you what I am for. And honestly, guys, I'm working it out too. How do we display this generosity? Living in this first world. Let's find out together. Today, would you stand with me and pray? So clearly, no states or cities or countries God has tried to do through a country can't display this generosity because the catch-22 we see in the Middle East today shows you why. Israel and Egypt refuses to open their borders, but when Israel continue bombing the Gaza Strip, there's only one way the Palestinians can go, and that's Egypt. They have nowhere else to go. But at the same time, Palestine is occupied by the Hamas terrorist group. That Their mandate is to destroy Israel. No, there can be no peace. So countries have to close their borders, tighten it up, so terrorists don't come in and out. So today, what does it teach us? Governments cannot change the world. Governments could limit mendacity, can encourage magnanimity, but can't accomplish them. Right now on the ground, there are the, the Red Cross, a Christian charity with others and the UN doing the good they can. So today, rather than me calling for action, I'm calling for reflection. The question, who am I becoming? Am I becoming more like the vision of Jubilee that God has called me to? Or am I so tethered to my way of life that I don't care, as Kanye says, where the blood is or where the diamonds come from? So I'm going to call you today to, to lift your hands with me and say, God, I want you to scan my life. I want you to examine my life. Help me to think through what this reveals about my temptation to escape 
the crisis. And then help me, form me to become a person that can embody radical generosity and charity as you did on the cross. Father, we come before you this afternoon. First, we recognize the resistance and the annoying hassle of charity. That's not sin. In us, there's a desire to do good given to us by God, our Creator. But it's getting through that hassle. That's the hard work. And then it's recognizing that like the things in our lives, hard work pays off, especially when it comes to our character. But we have to start somewhere. So it starts with reflection, then action. As we close today, I am reminded the words of John Paul II. He says, do not abandon yourselves to despair. We are a Easter people, and hallelujah is our song. Today, as we close, what is impossible with man, the Bible says, possible with God. I pray that through Christ we would become men and women who administer justice, mercy, and compassion. Will you bow your heads today for the benediction?
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. God bless you. And now we'll just have a few announcements for the food we're about to receive.